0: Hello, everyone. Today, I will be chatting with Dr. Pooja Lakshman. Pooja is the founder and CEO of Gemma, the first digital education platform dedicated exclusively to women's mental health, centering impact and equity. She is a board-certified psychiatrist and author specializing in women's mental health with a focus on how broken social systems impact women's emotional lives. Dr. Lakshman is a frequent contributor to the New York Times, a medical advisor to Peloton, and the author of the forthcoming book from Penguin Life, in which she discusses the tyranny of self-care and offers a four-part novel framework for women to build authentic and sustainable well-being in the face of systemic stressors. Dr. Lakshman is a clinical assistant professor of psychiatry at the George Washington University School of Medicine where she is a clinical supervisor in the five trimesters perinatal psychiatry clinic. She maintains a private practice where she applies an integrative approach to taking care of women suffering from maternal mental health conditions. She is active in advocacy and community building through online platforms, including her Instagram page at women's mental health doc. You can keep up with Pooja on Instagram, as mentioned earlier, and over at Gemma, www.gemmawoman.com And that is G-E-M-M-A-W-O-M-E-N. Learn more about Gemma's new digital course, I've Had Enough, which arms you with evidence-based psychological tools to deal with a world that just won't stop and is taught by three board certified physician psychiatrists. In today's episode, we will discuss the mental health challenges some women can face when weaning from breastfeeding, the importance of advocating for women's mental health, especially in the prenatal and postpartum period. What motivated Pooja to found her company Gemma? How society has turned its back on mothers and much more. Let's dive in. Our first sponsor today is Navy Haircare. I have been working with Navy Haircare since they launched back in 2018. At that time, I was about a year postpartum with our third child and my hair was experiencing some trouble after some significant postpartum hair loss. Navy really helped to strengthen my hair, and I noticed a big difference about one to two months after using it regularly. With biotin, vitamins, and rosemary oil, this shampoo and conditioner combo has been part of my daily routine for years now. I also use the charcoal mask every one to two weeks to help revitalize my hair. It helps to dry out toxins, heavy metals, and impurities, which we have plenty of since we have well water. This mask will leave your hair feeling incredibly soft and lightweight. You can use the code LINDSAY, L-Y-N-Z-Y, for 30% off your order, and I will leave the links to the products I mentioned within the show notes. Just a little disclaimer before we start this episode, this podcast does not provide medical advice. The information on this podcast is for informational purposes only. No material on this site is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Hello, Dr. Pooja Lakshman. I'm so excited to have you here this morning, and we are going to talk about a few different really important topics today. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Lindsay. So uh, we were chatting before we started the podcast, and I really wanted to touch you know, in these first Fifteen to twenty minutes on something that I never knew about before I became pregnant. And I didn't even have significant issues with it, even with my first or my second. But with my third and my fourth, it was pretty dramatic. And that was just these really horrible feelings after I was weaning my my babies from breastfeeding. i even even when I cut down because I did this like very lengthy, When I could, I I kind of lengthened it out as much as possible. And so with my third and my fourth, I weaned over a period of, I want to say a month or so. You know, I cut them down very slowly. And even doing that was pretty dramatic for me as far as how I was physically feeling, physically and mentally. And I would love for you to kind of touch on, you know, why does this happen? Why do we, you know, have these, these feelings as we're weaning our babies? I mean, obviously we're full of emotions because, you know, We're, we're no longer going to be nursing and we might have these feelings of, oh, I, you know, I wish I could have done it longer or, you know, this is my last baby. And so we have those feelings, but also I felt, you know, it was almost like the same feelings I had when I had first trimester depression which I think is another topic that's not quite touched on enough where it it just felt like you would wake up in the morning and you just couldn't even control these feelings of like doom and gloom you know and I had that a lot when I was weaning my last two babies in particular and I, I'm not sure if it was maybe my hormones were just not as controlled as they were after the first and second you know I'm not really sure but I would love to hear your thoughts on this and just anything you have to provide us with as far as information, as far as that goes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it's a really important topic and and I can just give folks a little bit of an introduction to myself so they kind of have a sense of where I'm coming from. So I'm Dr. Pooja Lakshman. I am a board certified psychiatrist and I specialize specifically in women's mental health and perinatal psychiatry. So in my clinical practice, I take care of women That are suffering from conditions like postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, burnout, despair, all these different mental health conditions. I'm also the founder and CEO of Gemma, which is a women's mental health digital education platform that's focused on equity and inclusion. You might have seen some of my writing in the New York Times. I'm a regular contributor there and I have my first book coming out next year that's all about the tyranny of self-care. And you might know me from Instagram. I'm at women's mental health doc. So it's really exciting to be here. And, you know, Lindsay, the topic of mental health during weaning of breastfeeding is, you know, it it just really gets missed. I think there's so much attention on firstly, postpartum and birth and then on pregnancy. And we just are, you know, it's, it, it, it's rare to find information specifically around weaning. And so I'm so glad that we're talking about this because in my practice, I see patients all the time who are having a really rocky go of it during weaning. And, you know, in technically the entire perinatal period is one year after you give birth. And then if you're still breastfeeding longer, it really does last. Through breastfeeding and through weaning, because, like you were saying, there's all these changes going on. And, you know, we still don't fully know from a hormonal standpoint what exactly are the reasons. There's some women, the research is pointing to so we know that there's decreased prolactin, decreased oxytocin once you start weaning, and those levels are kind of going up and down depending on how weaning goes for you. But it's not as easy as sort of saying like, oh, it's just my hormones, because we know that there's a subset of women who whose nervous systems don't respond as dramatically to those hormone shifts. And then there's another subset of women in the perinatal period, whose nervous systems are more sensitive to the changes in hormones. So I think that's kind of one caveat. A lot of times people you know, want to point to oh, it's just the hormones, but actually, from from my experience clinically, the thing that I find to be the most kind of powerful is the context around weaning and whether it's your choice or not, and some of the psychological stuff that's going on for you. Because we know in our country where I think that the statistic is like a quarter quarter of women are going back to work after two weeks like a lot of women are are weaning, but they don't want to be weaning, but they have to, right? And in those situations, I really see patients struggle because it's not your choice. You don't have agency. But then even on the other side, if you've been able to continue your breastfeeding journey for as long as you want to, it's still, it can be difficult because you're coping with all of those feelings around attachment to your baby and kind of like this transition in the relationship because it does change, right? When you're no longer nursing and you might be balancing, you know, taking care of other kids in the home too, maybe toddlers that have their own feelings, (laughs) big feelings, right? So there's just a lot to balance psychologically. And all of that falls on you as the mom, you're the one that's making the decision. You're the one that's having to handle kind of, the scheduling of how it all happens, it's it's a big load. So I don't want to undercut or underplay the psychological aspect of it too. And I think we don't give enough, you know, there's so much rhetoric around breastfeeding in general and, and pressure to breastfeed and things like that. but then we totally miss the conversation about well what happens, how do you stop and what happens when you stop? Yeah. and how do you deal with that?
0: I mean, even I mean, there's been a lot of talk most recently about, you know, of course the the formula shortage yes. and this rhetoric of, oh, well, you know, breastfeeding's free. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I swear it's such a good thing I'm not on social media anymore because I'm like, free in what way? Because I you know, as a mother of four, I cannot I would never be able to sit here and say, You know, I did breastfeed all four of my children, but it did not come without a high price of, I mean, I was so miserable during the first few weeks with every single one of my babies. It never came easy for me. Never. I mean, I had issue after issue with every single one of my children and it was always a different issue. So it was like, oh yeah, sure. On my third child. I was like, I'm going to nail this. I've had, you know, X, Y, and Z. And I know how to deal with all of those different issues that might come along with breastfeeding, but no, something new would happen. And so, you know, breastfeeding is very, very difficult. And I, was extremely blessed that I was able to save money to be able to take time off with my kids after I gave birth and not have a job where I was required to go back at a certain time. And I was able to really concentrate on, on, on doing this one thing. (laughs) But for, like you said, for, for moms that are going back to work at six, eight weeks postpartum, I cannot even imagine because there is like, I was not nailing breastfeeding by that, by that, time. Like there was just no way I was still struggling. I mean, it took me a good two months with each of my kids. And, you know, then it was somewhat smooth sailing. But it's still I mean, it is an incredible. It's just it you're devoting a lot of your time, a lot of your mental health, you know, I mean, every couple of hours, you're feeding this tiny little baby, and it's you. And you want to be eating well, and you don't want to exercise too much because you're afraid you won't produce enough milk. And some moms have to alter their diet completely because of what, you know, the baby might be allergic to. So yeah, I mean, there's just so many different factors. And so yeah, it's, it's such a difficult thing to do. And I I think, you know, just there's so many different stigmas around motherhood and in general, and it's, it's really hard because you want to do the right thing. And, For some people, you know, breastfeeding might be the right thing, or it might not be, you know? Right. Yeah. Right.
1: And I think it's so important that we give space for that, that really this is about choice for women that, you know, and especially in my practice where I'm working with women who are struggling with their mental health or may have history of depression or anxiety, the, you know... Any decision that you make in service of your own mental health is going to ultimately benefit your baby and your whole family. And so for some some women, that means not breastfeeding, or that means supplementing with formula, or that means pumping, right? I think it really does need to be a flexible conversation, Really looking at because you know, we need to when we talk about breastfeeding, when we talk about feeding in general, we also need to talk about sleep because sleep is really important, especially if you're somebody who's struggled with depression and anxiety. I actually just recently published a piece in the New York Times for Mother's Day that was all about my own history of being somebody who. Has had depression and anxiety, and and I'm a psychiatrist, and I'm you know work with women in in this space, and I'm currently pregnant in my third trimester, and you know I've had to make decisions that really center my own mental health, and those decisions are not necessarily popular things like you know taking medication, and I just think. It, the conversation, you know, like Lindsay, like we were talking about before we hopped on in America, the conversation always centers around the babies. Whereas in other parts of the world, the conversation includes mom. <laughs> yes. And we just need more of that. here. Yeah. Yeah. And I think weaning is part of that too, because I think there's a, a myth that it should, that it's just easy or that it's not a process, but but anyone who's been through it knows that actually know it. It's its own fully distinct process that is influenced by hormones, that's influenced by the psychology of what's going on between you and your baby or your child. Also the dynamics of what's going on in your family too, that you might be feeling pressure to wean. So I guess for listeners that that are struggling in this weaning phase, I would say my pieces of advice are one, recognize that it is a difficult period of time for your mental health. So you are not alone. Those of us in the perinatal psychiatry and the maternal mental health field absolutely know that this is a vulnerable period of time. It's another transition. So reach out to your support systems. Be gentle on yourself. Find other moms and women that you can talk candidly with and be open and honest with about your struggles. I'll also just share my Instagram page at Women's Mental Health Doc. I talk a lot about these issues. I think there are, you know, social media, <laughs> Lindsay, as you know, has its <laughs> downfalls. But there are some some good aspects. And I think part of kind of, you know, finding some evidence-based information can be helpful. So I would definitely check that out. Another resource is Postpartum Support International, Their website is www.postpartum.net and they have support groups that are free and virtual. They also have a directory of providers. So, you know, don't suffer alone is basically my message.
0: Yeah. And like you mentioned, I mean, obviously I am off social media, but I am, you know, fully able to recognize that there are there are so many positives to social media. And one that I can say is probably, I think the most important and just the internet in general, you know, it allows us to feel less alone in whatever we might be experiencing. So I know, you know, there are so many people that find a home in these like certain Facebook groups where, you know, these very rare diseases or conditions that people might suffer from, or maybe their child was born with something that's a rare condition. And they're able to find this support through a social media platform. And I think that's single handedly, probably the one of one of the most positive things that has ever come from social media, where we have been able to essentially make people feel so much less alienated by bringing them together, you know, when they might be suffering from something that is truly horrific, but they're able to find comfort in the other people that might get them through it and give them resources that they have used. And and I think that's really cool. So, yeah. So, for people listening, definitely check out her her page to see some of that evidence-based medicine. So, do you want to tell us a little bit about what made you create Gemma? Like what what were you thinking when you when you started it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it kind of links to what we were just talking about, the pros and cons of social media and how much misinformation is out there and how there really is a need for evidence-based women's mental health education. So I started my Instagram page at Women's Mental Health Doc towards the end of 2018. And there's not that many psychiatrists on Instagram because psychiatry is still relatively a conservative field and you know, you're not supposed to share your personal information and you know, blank slate, Freud, all that stuff which is important but as soon as i started my account i started to get dms from women that were asking questions like you know things like is it okay for me to stay on my zoloft when i'm pregnant or is this bad enough that i should reach out to my ob or my midwife or my primary care doctor and obviously we can't provide you know medical advice on <laughs> on instagram or on dm but i saw that there was so much out there when it comes to education around baby, like there was like, you know, learn how to breastfeed, learn how to sleep train, learn how to deal with your toddler's tantrums. But there was nothing for moms, and there's nothing for women, nothing for mental health. And so Gemma was born out of that. And since then, we have really focused on the systems. So we've focused on the fact that we can't talk about women's mental health without in the same breath talking about the systems of oppression that impact us all of us as women or people who identify as women so talking about things like equity and impact and how things like you know not like we were just talking about like if you don't have an employer that gives you paid maternity leave then you're probably not going to be able to continue breastfeeding for as long as you want to or you know this in this statistic that i always share around in in, in Europe, there was a study where they found when fathers had flexible paid paternity leave, the number of prescriptions for new moms for anti-anxiety medications went down by a quarter. So it's, you, you know, you can't, we can't just be talking about depression, anxiety. We need to also at the very same time, be talking about all of these systemic issues that we live inside. So that was what spurred me to start Gemma. And my co-founder, Dr. Callie Cyrus, is also a psychiatrist. She's Black and queer and focuses on social justice. So we are an ed tech platform and we're still small and and figuring things out. But our new class is called I've Had Enough. And it has two kind of focuses. One is teaching you evidence-based psychological tools to bolster your emotion regulation, your feeling of self-efficacy, your ability to manage the difficult thoughts that come up when we're living in a system that is not built for us. And then the other arm of the class is learning how to advocate for yourself, figuring out when, when you can speak up and what you should say and how to know if you're the person in the room that does have some privilege and can say something and help shift the systems around you. So we're really excited. And for folks who are are listening, our website is G-E-M-M-A, women.com. And you can find more information on my Instagram page too. That's awesome. Do you
0: have any, and I don't know what the, there's probably, I'm sure, you know, state laws that might inhibit this, but Is there any in the horizon, any idea of you guys maybe offering like one-on-one type of support on there or because of insurance and state lines and things like that, you wouldn't be able to offer that on the platform?
1: Yeah. Unfortunately, we don't provide clinical services right now because exactly for that reason, for clinical services, you have to be licensed in the state that the person lives in. So we really feel like you know, ed tech and education, because, you know, and as you know, this too, as a practitioner, we do so much educating in our clinical work. And that's a space where I think it's ripe with misinformation. I think there's so much that we can do. And from what women have taken the classes before in the past, we've had zoom classes. And right now, everything is asynchronous. But in the past, we did do zoom classes. And, you know, getting those slides, getting that information and being able to share it with your partner and say hey look i'm taking this class here's what here's what dr lakshman said about protecting your sleep in postpartum maybe we should think about you know getting some extra help or having family come right it gives permission to have those conversations it also gives permission to ask your medical providers to say to your midwife or your ob or even your primary care doctor like hey i'm actually i'm high risk for postpartum depression, like maybe we should talk about, talk about medication or, you know, talk about getting me a referral for a therapist. So that's kind of the lane that we're, we're really focusing on right now. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome.
0: I really love that. I would love for you to touch on, I know you had mentioned you, I'm going to put it into the show notes as well. This article from the New York times, it was titled how society has turned its backs back on mothers. And you, you talk about burnout versus betrayal. Can you talk about
1: that some more? Yes. And and I think this is probably something that you've experienced, Lindsay, because in the medical field, we see it so much. Yeah. (laughs) There's so much burnout, right? And I, over the course of the pandemic, I had so many patients who were coming in and they're just like, you know, I'm so stressed. I have no time to sleep. I'm juggling, trying to keep my job and not get fired. And I'm, you know, homeschooling my kids. And I feel like it's my fault because I'm burnt out. And if I'm burnt out, that means that I'm not doing enough to take care of myself. Again, like the onus always falls on the individual when you use that word burnout. And so in this article, I reframed it that this isn't an individual problem, that this is actually social betrayal. This is a country, again, where we don't have standard required paid parental leave policies where we, you only see the OB six weeks after you give birth where we don't have nurse visits or things like that, that are standard where, you know, where we have an infant formula shortage, like, you know, it's just that there's all of these systemic issues. So why are we calling it burnout? You know, that this is actually this, the problem doesn't lie inside of us. The problem lies within our systems and For me, that is just such an important piece of mental health because whether we're talking about weaning or whether we're talking about pregnancy or postpartum, or even if we're talking about just women's mental health in general, you know, like menopause, perimenopause, all of these different transitions that women go through at every stage, women are expected to pull themselves up by the bootstraps and do it alone and just make it happen and take care of everything without that extra support. So again, that's why I keep coming back to that. This is betrayal and that burnout just misses, misses the mark. And instead makes people feel guilty and ashamed for being in that place. Yeah. And, and when you
0: feel that way, I feel like you're less apt to look for help because you're thinking, well, this is a problem on me that I need to fix, rather than, no, this isn't a problem on me. This is this has been put on me, but it's not fair that it is. And I am having trouble coping with all of these different things that I need to be able to handle. And it's okay to feel depressed and anxious and, and whatever your feelings might be and oh I need help with this. It's almost like, you know, you don't feel permission to be able to kind of do that, I feel like, you know? Especially when it's framed that way. This this burnout mentality, it's just, it's really, really harmful.
1: Totally. And I think it feeds into that kind of martyr mode dynamic that that I suffer from all the time too. So, you know, that, that it's so easy for us as women to sort of take pride and be valorized for how much we're sacrificing and how much you're doing for everybody else. And, you know, you get lots of kudos for that, but ultimately like, what is the race that you're trying to win here? You know, there's no prize for the person who suffers the most. Yeah. That
0: like, I can do it all mentality, you know, and you know what, it's interesting too, that you brought that up. So, I will say when I was on social media and, you know, I was, it appeared as if like I was doing that all, right. I had, I was still going to work per diem, but still going to work. I had, you know, four kids. I was doing, you know, all these different things, doing a lot of education on my platform in the last two years with COVID and all these different things. And people would say, how do you do it all? You can do it. All. Like, I can't believe it. Like, I wish I could be more like you, you do it all. And I think those messages, they really bother me the most because I don't want, I never wanted people to think, you know, oh, here she is. She can do it all. Like, because first of all, I don't think that we should ever have to be told that we can do it all because we shouldn't have to do it alone and do it all at the same time. I think that that's just like harmful messaging in general. But I, you know, the, one of the reasons why I left social media was because I couldn't do it all. I mean, my mental health was, spiraling downwards. I mean, for so many different reasons, you know, with social media, especially when you're advocating for medicine and science in general, it's it's a weird time period that we live in right now. So it's, I praise all the people that are on there, including you, because It's so important for us to be on there advocating in a time where not everybody wants to hear from us. So I think that that's definitely took a toll on me personally. But you don't have to do it all, and and it's okay to ask for help in whatever way that might look like. If you have to ask a neighbor to to help you do you know dinner or pick up your kids, or you have to go see a psychiatrist, or you have to you know whatever that is that you have to do, those things are all completely okay and. I hope that we can kind of ditch the whole mentality that we have to do it all because I do think that it's just a, a harmful mentality for for us as women who become mothers that, you know, it, it's just it's it's very hard to kind of live under that expectation.
1: I, I heard someone say something something along the lines of when you're trying to do it all, you can't have it right. You know, you're, you're so focused on sort of the checking everything off the list and making sure that everything's happening. But when you're operating from that place, it's actually impossible to be present in all of the good things that are in your life. And I think it's a real sort of failure of the, the feminist movement really to kind of put the burden on women to do it all. And, you know, I think it's such an important point that that thing of like what's happening behind the scenes, because on social media, we all know, like it's, it's a, it's a highlight reel, right? It's not actually what's really happening in people's lives. And when I wrote this article for the New York times, I shared about how you know, we know that for prevention of postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety, some of the most high yield evidence based things that you can do are taking a medication. If you've been on medication before, prioritizing your sleep, protecting your sleep and having social support. So I am definitely lucky and privileged and fortunate to, to have, to be, have a job, a steady job and to have a partner and to have good health insurance. So we were able to hire a postpartum doula who's going to help us. And the comment section of that article was just vicious. Of oh, people being like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe you need all this help. And it just proves the point that why are you not allowed to get that help? I thought, yeah. Right. Yeah. Why, what is wrong with getting help when in fact, like for centuries and centuries and, and everywhere else in the world, women are raising families within a village, right? They, yeah. they have their parents, they have their grandparents, they have their aunts and uncles. And, you know, whereas now we're all just, you know, everyone's all over the country, you know, we're, we're isolated. So you have to build your own. And then why are we attacking women for making those choices? Granted, it is a privilege, yes, to be able to make those choices. And I think if you are transparent about that, it actually opens up space for folks that are on social media are kind of seeing like, oh, she's not doing this alone. Yeah. And she's not doing it all. Right, right,
0: right. I I truly think that that's... (laughs) I think that's an American mentality because as we were mentioning before, I've interviewed quite a few people that have been patients in either Canada or European countries where, you know, their prenatal care, their postpartum care, it, it looks quite literally the exact opposite of ours here. And there was one woman I was interviewing and she lived in Canada. And she was telling me that, you know, she had given birth and everything had gone really well. There weren't any, you know, significant complications, but the midwife came out every single day to her home to make sure that, you know, the latch was correct, helping with breastfeeding, helping with anything the mom needed. You know, do you want me to take a look and make sure everything's healing up? Well, just help literally helping her. And, you know, you think to yourself, in America, here we give birth. We are given, I don't know, maybe a day, maybe two days in the hospital if everything goes well. And then we're sent home with nothing. <laughs> nothing. There's no, there's no resources even. I mean, I can tell you that because I've had four children and, and there are very little resources, especially when you have a baby during COVID. It's literally like, hey, Everything that you could possibly need is not available to you right now. And so I, you know, bless the people that have had their first babies during this two and a half year period where so many places were closed or not offering up any resources and you literally felt alone. And so, yeah, I mean, it doesn't surprise me that those were the comments, you know, in response to to what you had (laughs) said, but, you know, it makes me so, you know, upset because, we need to, I mean, quite literally, it's like, it's that quote, which is empowered women empower women, right? Where, where's the support for each other where it's like, that is amazing that you're able to do that for yourself. You know, I I wish that every woman had the, you know, ability to do this and the access to be able to do it, which we should, it should be, you know, something that's just given to us and covered, you know, once we give birth to be able to have these resources, but of course it's not. So, but yeah, that's just... It's it's so interesting that that was right, and I think it's there. just
1: another example of how intertwined mental health for women is with all of these different systems of privilege and power and oppression, and depending on the resources that you have available to you, what you, what you can, the choices you have in front of you versus if you don't have those resources you're left behind and and it does need it should be standard it should be more like in european countries where this is just part of the package and you have someone that's checking on you and you have you have access to all of this support i try to stay hopeful mm-hmm. <laughs> you know I, mm-hmm. I i do think you know what you were saying earlier like one of the positives of social media is that it brings people together or can bring people together in these different pockets of life experiences. And I think hope is something that we all kind of have to think of as a practice and a skill that you hold on to because otherwise it is really easy to just feel, to sink into despair about the situation that we're all in.
0: (laughs) Yeah. 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 I know it's so true. I would love to ask you too, this is kind of slightly off off topic, but what are some of the most common things that you hear from women that are either like in the perinatal or postpartum period when they come to see you? Like what are some of the the
1: common issues that they're coming to you for? Yeah, that's a good question. So in general, I see, I see my practice is 100% women and I would say it's about 80% mothers. And so in of those mothers, it's there's a range of, you know, folks who, let's say, have had depression, anxiety in the past, and now they're thinking about becoming a mom, and they want to know, should I stay on my medication? Should I go off my medication? How should I make that decision? And then women who are pregnant, like you talked about, Lindsay, kind of experiencing depressive symptoms during pregnancy and want to get help and treatment. And then, of course, women in the postpartum phase as well. And then the last category actually is women who are Years and years out of the postpartum phase, but have been struggling for years and just never thought to, not. I shouldn't say never thought to get help, but were never supported in their decision to get help and are now coming in. So anybody who's listening, even if you are like two years postpartum, it's never too late. Like no one is going to turn you away and say, nope, sorry, you're, you're past the cutoff point. Yeah, yeah. Like, please, please still come. Um, it's never too late to to get help. I would say one of the most common questions that I get asked is sort of like how to distinguish external stressors from a clinical condition. So for a specific example would be kind of, you know, let's say that you're like a month or two postpartum, you're in that really terrible sleep deprived state. Maybe you have a baby that has colic or a baby that isn't latching and so isn't gaining weight properly. You know, there's just a lot of cognitive load on you and you're not sleeping and maybe you're having conflict with your partner because you're both sleep deprived and cranky and worried about your baby. So you, when you come to see somebody like me, like we're talking through all the issues and your question might be, well, like, how do I know if this is just sleep deprivation? versus actually a clinical condition that would benefit from therapy or even an antidepressant. And it is nuanced because the thing is that we know sleep deprivation, like the evidence actually supports that sleep deprivation is a risk factor for postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety. So one of the ways that treatment can be helped treatment in the form of medication is if you're at a place where your functioning is impaired or it's so bad that you're having, but your relationship is impacted. Let's say anytime you and your your partner try and start talking, it turns into a screaming match or it turns into you just stop sobbing hysterically and not being able to really communicate what you need. The way that medication works is that it turns down the volume a little bit on the parts of your brain that are feeling all of those really big, loud feelings and it reactivates the problem solving part of your brain so that you can actually, despite the sleep deprivation, sit down and, you know, problem solve and say, okay, this is what I, I need help. I need somebody who can, I need people to drop off food for us or I need to sit down and like make a schedule for this baby. And I need, I need my partner to, do like the, you know, midnight to 3am shift or like to actually have logical problem-solving conversations, which then lead to you getting the help that you need. So I guess this is a very roundabout way of me saying that all of these different aspects in the postpartum period are connected. And when your brain and your nervous system isn't firing on, on all c- cylinders because of either postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety, you actually are limited in your ability to communicate and make a plan to get the help that you need. So you end up self-sabotaging. So it's at, yeah. that, yeah. And sense? the more you don't, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And then you kind of just spiral into this. Yes. I, mean, I know it makes sense. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then you're just stuck in that cycle where you're mm. fighting and you're feeling martyred and and you don't know how to get out of it the other thing that I would say for folks that are listening is the good news <laughs> if there is any good news in this <laughs> conversation is that treatment really does work that these conditions don't last forever you know my patients once you know either with therapy or sometimes with medication they come out of it and and you feel like yourself again and and then when you're on the other side of it, then you can see clearly oh my gosh wow i was really i was i was down there in a pretty dark place and i didn't know it at the time i didn't see it at the time but once you're on the other side of it you can see and and that's why i love this work because but because my patients get better and it doesn't just because you take the medication during the postpartum period or in pregnancy or whenever during this time it doesn't mean that you need to be on it forever exactly
0: yeah. And I think some people get scared of that, you know, it's like, well, I don't want to have to rely on something for, you know, the rest of my life, you know, whereas like somebody that might need, you know, it's the same thing as somebody that might need, you know, maybe a blood pressure medication. Well, so say they start to do like diet and exercise modification and, you know, you don't necessarily need to be on that. I mean, you know, for the rest of your life, unless you have, you know, you know, some family history that's significant that might, you know, sometimes those modifications don't work for everybody, but for most people, and you can, sometimes you know alter those things yeah yeah no that's great so is there anything you wanted to add to the conversation before i ask you i'm going to going to ask you two questions that are totally off topic before we end here
1: i don't think so i feel like we've covered a lot of ground yeah i know i know we did yeah
0: <laughs> okay so the first question is if you could give advice to moms it doesn't have to be about what we talked about today
1: one piece of advice for moms that you would give. I think the most important thing is every decision that you make in service of your mental health is also in service of your baby. That your mental health is not contradictory to your baby's health. It actually is additive. I think that's yeah. great. Yeah.
0: And that's just a little hint to to say once you do have the baby, you need to make time for yourself because it's really <laughs> important. It's it's part of the whole picture. And even to this day, I mean, my husband, uh, he will like tell me, I think he'll like, he probably gets these vibes off of me where it's like, okay, you need a girl's night. When are we doing the girl's night? Let's set up the girl's night. Like, (laughs) you know, or, or, um, you look like you need to go for a run. You want to go for a run? Do you want to go to the gym? Do you (laughs) want? And I'm Mm -hmm. like, oh, am I at that point? And he's like, yeah, you are. So let's figure this out. Let's get you out of (laughs) here. Which is great that
1: you have that. Yeah, I
0: mean, yeah, 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 yeah. But but you know this is this has been years too of I think a lot of open communication. So I can I can say that you know one of the best I guess pieces of like marriage advice that I can give is is having open communication all of the time is so important because there are many times even still where I I'll say things like in my own head like oh well I wish he would have really you know done this and and cleaned up these dishes or whatever well don't keep them up there. Get them out on the table because you know what happens. Even they, even if it's like smaller things, they tend to add up. And so, just always having that open book conversation with each other is is just so important because it allows you guys to get on that same page together, and you're able to talk about the bigger things much easier too when you're talking about everything. So, okay. Second question: If you could make a meal. That was relatively quick and easy, like say, I don't know, under 30 minutes, and it's one of your favorite dishes, what would it be?
1: Um, you are so asking me at the, the wrong time, in that I'm, thir- I'm <laughs> like at the end of my third <laughs> trimester of my pregnancy, and I have li- literally eaten egg salad sandwiches for lunch <laughs> every single day of this pregnancy. Have you really? <laughs> Yes. Isn't that funny? Oh my gosh. I wonder if your baby's gonna lo- going to love eggs. I hope so. Um, yes. yeah, I don't know. It's been, I guess it's been my craving every day on oh, that's so funny with salt and pepper. And I never, I I, I was never an egg salad person before pregnancy. Um, I love so. hearing these because it is wild. <laughs> a lot of the
0: times it's, so I ate grapefruit every single day of my pregnancy with my last baby. Uh-huh. So I'm like, I wonder if she's good. it's so wild. But did you eat, <laughs> did you eat a lot of eggs in general Like before? for like
1: omelets no, and things like that? not no. really. Yeah. I mean, maybe like once a week before. Yeah. It's really
0: funny. <laughs> so how do you make your egg salad? Do you put mayo in it? What do you put in it? So I do, I just do mayo
1: and salt and pepper. And I actually, I'm i am not a cook. I, I don't really cook. My partner does does most of the cooking in our house. So I'm, I actually just buy, buy the pre-boiled eggs. Yeah. The ones yeah. that are in the, they're great. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. No, those um, are
0: great. Tr- Trader Joe's has like a whole pack of them that you can get just right, right off the shelf. Right. Makes it super easy. Right. And it's just salt and pepper, minis. Yep. Yeah. No, that's, that's, I mean, it's quick and easy and it's got a lot of protein in it, which is great. My husband bought years ago, he bought this. I don't know if you've ever heard of this thing, but it's like this egg cooker on Amazon and you pop all the eggs in and it cooks them, like steams them however you want. You can have them medium over hard, like whatever you want them to be. They will cook them to your liking. So you put it on wow. a you know, specific time and it's, it's affordable and it's like incredibly easy to use. So for hard boiled eggs, I think you just put it at like the 12 minute mark or whatever, and it'll make, you know, 15 hard boiled eggs. And you can just put them in the fridge. It's super That's great. easy. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the coolest like little gadgets. Yeah, like four kids, that probably is a very helpful tool
1: to have oh, too in your house.
0: Yes, that in Costco is really the only way that we can get by. Yeah, anyways, thank you so much, Pooja, for taking the time. I know that you're so busy in these last few weeks trying to get everything done before baby arrives. And I want to wish you a very safe and quick delivery and just an overall pleasant postpartum period. I hope you take some time for yourself.
1: Thank you so much, Lindsay. It's, this was a real pleasure to chat. And and for those of you following me or for listening, you can follow me at, at Women's Mental Health Doc. And again, the website for Gemma is women com. And I'm so looking forward to getting to know some of you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Pooja.
0: Thank you so much for hanging out with us today.